that, right? Well, he is risen. It is good to see you on this Easter Sunday morning. I want to begin this morning with a story for the boys and girls. So kids, y'all are welcome to come forward and sit down front with me here. So here we go, boys and girls. Come on down here. Get where you can stand. We'll hold a book over here. So we want to sit down where y'all can see over here next to me, okay? Come on down. Man, y'all look great this morning. Parents dress y'all up today. Come on down. This room for y'all. You did? I agree with you. Story time is the best time. I agree with you, Trey. Well, boys and girls, it is good to see you this morning. We just had the adults do it, but let's, when I say he is risen, y'all say he is risen indeed, okay? He is risen. He is risen indeed. Amen. That is an incredible truth for us to realize. I want to read you a story. This is from the Big Picture Story Bible, one of my favorites of the story Bibles. Some of you have read this. On a small hill outside the city of Jerusalem, Jesus was nailed to a cross and died. Darkness fell upon the land. Jesus was dead. He was buried in a tomb. A big stone was rolled in front of the entrance. All, and all the people went home. For Jesus' followers, that dark day was followed by a long night. The hours passed very slowly. Jesus' friends cried. They had thought he was the king. But now their hearts were filled with sorrow, and their minds were filled with fear. What happened? Why did Jesus have to die? Wasn't Jesus God's forever king? The questions kept coming until the next day turned into night. As Jesus' followers tried to sleep, they thought, we will be sad forever. Will God ever rescue his people from sin? Will he ever have our place with him? Will God ever bring again his blessings on all the peoples of the earth? It was the third day after Jesus had died on the cross. The sun was not yet up. One woman, Mary Magdalene, couldn't sleep. She had believed in Jesus and she had hoped that he was the king. She got up very early while it was still dark and went to the tomb where Jesus was buried. As she came close, suddenly she grew anxious and afraid. The big stone that covered the entrance was gone. Jesus' tomb was open, and it was empty. She turned and ran. She did not stop. Seeing two of Jesus' followers, she caught her breath and cried, They've taken the Lord out of the tomb. Her friends ran off. They raced to the tomb. They looked around. They went inside, but Jesus was not there. As they walked back home, they wondered what had happened. That evening, some of Jesus' followers were meeting together. They were afraid, and so they had locked the doors. Suddenly, Jesus came and stood among them. At first, his followers were frightened, but then their fear turned into joy. The sadness they had felt was gone. Their hearts were glad again. Jesus was alive. Jesus really was alive. Jesus was risen from the dead. The sun had risen. It was a brand new day. Jesus' followers could hardly believe it. We've seen the Lord. They were full of joy, but they were not full of understanding. They could see Jesus with their eyes, but they could not see why he had to die and rise again. And so, Jesus opened up God's holy book that had been written long ago. He started with the books of Moses and then the prophets and the Psalms. He showed them everything that was written there about him. And it were many word pictures that proved he must die to pay for the penalty of sin. And it were many pictures that promised he would rise again. Jesus' followers were amazed as they listened and as they read. Before they had said, we have seen the Lord, but now they could read God's holy book and say, even here, especially here, we have seen the Lord. Jesus taught them carefully because he knew the day was coming when people no longer would see him with their eyes. They would read of him instead. He knew God's holy book would help others to believe and say, we have seen the Lord. And they too 
will be full of joy. Can you say, we have seen the Lord? We have seen the Lord. And friends, that gives us joy. Can you say joy? Joy. Well, amen. That is an important truth we're about to talk about in the service. Miss Molly has activity books for you all, so you're welcome to get those and return to your seats and have a little activity to do. And if you draw a cool picture during the sermon, come show me after the service. I would love to see it. God bless you, boys and girls. We'll read it to you afterwards, okay? What a beautiful sight, isn't it, church? Children are a blessing to the Lord, and I'm grateful that he has filled Gateway with lots of kids. Like you hear me say many times before, if you're a parent, children, noises of children are not a problem in church. They're a sign of life, and we're thankful for this, this sign of life right here in our church family. And any adults, if you're really craving an activity packet, we can give you one as well. <laughs> and if you color a good picture during the sermon, you can come show it to me after the service as well. Good job, boys and girls, listening. Y'all did a great job listening to that story. That is an important truth. I hope you'll think about. If you have questions about it, talk to your parents over lunch today or this afternoon or even this evening. These are truths that we want you to understand as much as we understand them as well. Well, friends, as we think about what I've just read to the boys and girls, I want to begin by talking about the word peace. Jeff prayed it when he was praying earlier about peace. Peace is a word that occupies our thoughts and our minds a lot. You see it in the news. You see it on social media. You hear it talked about in coffee shops around the community. And though we talk about peace, the reality is peace is often lacking. Just turn on the news and you hear about all the wars and the global conflict. Even look at local news and you hear about violence in the community. You see broken families and we see a lack of peace. But friends, if we're really honest and we look at our own hearts, there's often a lack of peace there as well. We worry about the future. We live paralyzed by what other people think about us. We grieve over losses we've experienced. We feel the weight of the brokenness of sin, our sin and the sin of others around us. The weight of the brokenness of the world. Because if we're honest and see the lack of peace in our own hearts, if we're honest about that, we quickly realize that not only is peace lacking, but joy is often lacking as well. Because when peace is lacking, lack of joy follows. We see the brokenness of the world and we get cynical, we get down, we get discouraged, we get angry at others, angry at ourselves, even angry at God. We see our sin, we see our shortcomings, we see our worries, we see our fears, and those things begin to push out the joy and peace that we're supposed to have in our hearts. So friends, knowing that reality, I want to ask this morning, is peace in our lives really possible? And is joy in our lives really possible? And if so, how? How can you and I have peace and joy in the midst of all the brokenness of the world, and the brokenness of life, and even the brokenness in our own hearts? And on this Easter morning, this resurrection morning, I want you to know the answer from Scripture is yes, peace is possible in your heart and my heart. Joy is possible in your heart and in my heart. And it's not dependent upon our circumstances. It has everything to do with what we were just reading about with the boys and girls. What we were just singing about it has everything to do with the resurrection, what we are celebrating this morning. I want you to see that truth in the Gospel of John as we continue our journey through the Gospel of John. Now, if you're visiting Gateway this morning, I want to say welcome to you. We're continuing a sermon series as we've been working through the Gospel of John. The Gospel is a word that means good news. It's a story of the good news of the life of Jesus and who he was and what he came to do. The Bible records for us four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Each of these tell the life of Jesus, the good news of who Jesus is and what he came to do from four different perspectives, but one story from four perspectives. Here at Gateway, we've been working through the Gospel of John very, very slowly. 
you hear the people at Gateway chuckling over that. We've been, this is sermon number 55 in the Gospel of John. We're in John 20, and we're finally on sermon number 55 on this. And as we're continuing through this, we've been seeing over these 55 weeks so much of who Jesus is and so much of what true belief really is. And if you've been around Gateway, you've heard us say over and over, true belief in Jesus is not that I've prayed a prayer, not that I've walked down an aisle, not that I've met with a pastor, not that I've been baptized. True belief is receiving God's grace that changes us, that if we really believe our lives will be different. And we're going to come face to face with that once again in the Gospel of John this morning. What we've been doing in recent weeks through our journey of the Gospel of John has been what's been happening in Jesus' life over the Thursday and Friday related to his crucifixion. We saw the Thursday night when Jesus was in the upper room with his disciples when he was celebrating the Passover with them and made it into the Lord's Supper, communion, what we celebrated Friday night in our Good Friday service. We see Jesus there washing his disciples' feet. We see Jesus teaching his disciples. We see Jesus praying for his disciples. And then we see him betrayed. We see him given a trial. We see him on Friday morning given the Roman trial. We see him going to the cross, and we see him being crucified. And all throughout this, we see Jesus in full command. But this is not happening by chance, that Jesus is the sovereign king. And everything is happening exactly as God had ordained, exactly as God had orchestrated that it would all happen. That he is the king who's willingly, he's chosen to lay down his life to accomplish salvation for you and for me. And I share all that to remind us, what we're looking at this morning in John 20 is not isolated. This is not just a resurrection text we're pulling out of the blue here. This is part of the same story we've been seeing all the way from John 1. And so it continues on. In God's providence, we hit John 20 on Easter Sunday morning. So find John chapter 20 in your copy of the Bible or in your Bible app on your phone, and we're going to be looking at what happened on Sunday morning. We've already looked last week and celebrated in the Good Friday service the death and burial of Jesus on Friday, but thankfully, friends, that is not the end, because Sunday morning comes, we've just been singing about, and everything changes. It didn't just change everything then, it's still changing things today because of the resurrection, because of Sunday morning. So friends, can we have peace and joy? Yes. But it's not because you and I strive for it, not because we can just will it, not because we can just choose it when we get up. We can have peace and joy because of what Christ has accomplished in the resurrection. So as we read John chapter 20 this morning, I want you to look for two things. What is the connection between the resurrection and having peace and joy? Like, how is this connected? How does the resurrection provide us peace and joy? And then second of all, if we have peace and joy, now what? Is peace and joy the end? Or is there something bigger? Is there a bigger picture to the peace and joy we have? So what's the connection between resurrection and having peace and joy? And we have peace and joy, so what? What's next? So we come to John chapter 20, verses 1 through 23. Can I ask you to stand, please, in honor of the reading of the Word of God? The words will be on the screen for you to help you follow along if you'd rather watch there. I'm reading out the English Standard Version. John chapter 20, starting in verse 1. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark. And saw the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going towards the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there. And the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloth, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. Verse 11. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. Now she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. 
She saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. Verse 19. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of anyone, they are forgiven. If you withhold forgiveness from anyone, it is withheld. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you for this amazing passage. Lord Jesus, though you were crucified, Sunday morning came and you rose again. And I pray right now you would give us eyes to see the wonder of this, this truth, the wonder of this text of what actually happened on that Sunday morning. And God, I pray you would show me, show these precious brothers and sisters how the resurrection changes us. And God, we would leave this place not just thinking this was a great historical fact that occurred. But God, we would leave this place knowing it's true, but knowing that it has great impact for my everyday life. So we ask Holy Spirit you to come to illuminate the text as only you can do, giving us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to believe and receive what you have for us this day. We ask it for your glory and for our joy in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, there's one thing I want you to see in the text this morning as we look through. There's so much we can say about this passage, but one thing I want us to focus on this morning is this. The resurrection gives a peace and joy that is so real, we cannot help but share it with others. The resurrection gives us a peace and joy that is so real, we cannot help share it with others. Friends, there's so much striving in the world for peace, so much longing for peace, and so much of the world efforts for peace are going to always fall short because they don't deal with the evil in our own hearts. They're all external. They don't deal with the evil, the sin inside of me and my own heart, and the evil and sin inside of you and your own heart. But friends, the resurrection does deal with the evil in our own hearts, and it gives us hope in this because Christ accomplishes what we cannot accomplish. The resurrection gives us a peace and joy that is so real that we cannot help but share it with others. Now, as we think about this truth, it begins with the reality of the resurrection. Friends, peace and joy is not possible if there is no resurrection. We have to start there. And as we've seen throughout the Gospel of John, John chooses the passages he does, the accounts he does, for a very particular reason. He's very intentional because John is building a case like a lawyer for us here. He's making a case for what he's trying to show us. We saw that last week in the crucifixion. He had put the details in, even the details of the clothes, because he was showing that Jesus is the king. And here in the resurrection, he's putting a lot of details in to show us that this is actual reality, this is actual history, this is not some fairy tale, that this is absolute truth on this. We've already read about it, I'm not going to reread the first few verses, but we see Mary at the tomb. She sees the the empty tomb, she runs to the disciples, two of them come running, Peter and we're not told who it was, it's probably John, but we're not sure, all we know is whoever was was a faster runner than Peter. So Peter and the faster runner get to the tomb. Mary's already seen the tomb, and so they're building a case for us here. Look at verses 6 and 7. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. 
he saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloth, but folded up in a place by itself. Again, John is recording details for a reason. He's telling us that three people have seen the empty tomb and they've recorded to us that the face cloth is not just laying there like someone left in a rush. The body hasn't been stolen. The face cloth has been taken off folded neatly, and laid in a very orderly fashion. What is John trying to do here? He's trying to show us that everything is happening by design. This is not a stolen body. This is Jesus actually rising from the dead, even taking time in the one who is orderly, and all he does, folding the head cloth and putting it there on there. But John's also showing us, by giving us three people who've seen it, the fact that this actually happened. Jewish law required two witnesses for something to be admissible in court. John's given us three here. He's showing us that this is actual history that is happening. And in case we think, well, these people just made it up, he gives us a very not flattering description of their hearts in verse 9. <clears throat> For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Now, why would John tell us that? That's not a really kind thing to say. Hey, these people saw it, but guess what? They really didn't understand. He's trying to help us see they didn't have a preconceived notion that's causing them to interpret reality different than it really was. They went in not even understanding, but they saw it and they believed because it's the truth. And it's not just the truth from the witnesses of the empty tomb. John's building his case. The resurrection actually happened. And he's showing us that with the resurrection appearances. Look at verse 16. Jesus appears to Mary. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And then we see him appearing to the disciples as well. Verse 19. And this is an amazing verse. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them, said to them, Peace be with you. John's showing us that not just there's an empty tomb, but people actually saw Jesus with their own eyes. And not just them. If you look up, I'll have the verse on the screen for you, but from 1 Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 through 8, it wasn't just a handful who saw him. Listen to this. For I delivered to you as of first importance what he also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried. That's what we've been celebrating on Good Friday. That he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, what we're celebrating this morning. And then verse 5. And that he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, then to the twelve, that's what we were just reading about here, then verse 6. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, and some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. Friends, don't miss the significance of this. Jesus appeared not just to a few, he appeared to more than 500 at one time, most of whom were still alive. We have eye, there were eyewitnesses who saw Jesus and don't miss the fact that there were eyewitnesses in the lifetime of other eyewitnesses. There were so many at the time who wanted to disprove Jesus. I mean, we think it's bad today, but at the time, these are the people who killed Jesus. They wanted Jesus to not be in the picture. And if there were people who could prove there was a body, if there were people who could prove that Jesus had not risen from the dead, trust me, they would have. But they couldn't because there was hundreds and hundreds of people who had seen Jesus with their eyes, and they were around in the lifetime of other Eyewitnesses. John is building a case for us here, as is all of Scripture, that the resurrection actually happened. We're, friends, we're reading actual history. Now, the reality, though, is that's true, but it's too easy to stop there. Because if you and I just go, great, it happened, that doesn't force life change upon us. It doesn't make us look inward. But, friends, we can't stop there. The resurrection is real, but the real resurrection gives us a very real peace and joy. Look at verse 19, and look at how the resurrection changes people. Verse 19, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. So Jesus appears to his disciples. What is the first word out of his mouth? Oh, what was the first word out of his mouth? 
peace. Okay, so Jesus comes. First thing he appears, I mean, he stands in their midst. Doors are locked. He goes, peace be with you. He points, he just doesn't apparently say anything else. He shows them his hands and his side. But then look at verse 21. What's the second word out of his mouth? Jesus looks at them again and says, what? Peace. Is Jesus stuttering here? Jesus appears. Again, get the scene. The disciples are in the room. The door is locked. Jesus appears in the middle of the room and goes, peace be with you. Peace be with you. Is he stuttering? Is he forgetful? Is this a post-resurrection amnesia moment here and he forgot he just said this? No, this is so important because peace is a new reality available for his followers because of the resurrection. And so the first two things he says to them are peace be with you, peace be with you. Friends, what is peace? We talked about this way back in John 16, but so often when you and I think of peace, we don't actually define peace. We talk about what's not happening. If you ask me about peace, it's like, well, there's no war there's no conflict. I don't have any stress in my relationships. It's all the what it's not. But, this, but peace is more than what it's not. Peace is actually something, and it's not based on our circumstances. For peace is contentment and trust in the goodness of God. Again, peace is a contentment and trust in the goodness of God, no matter my circumstances. Peace is not what's happening around me. Peace is what's happening in me. It is a peace. It is a contentment. It is a trust in the goodness of God. Now, how in the world does the resurrection make that possible? How are the disciples here able to have peace? And how can you and I, as his followers, have peace as well? And what in the world does that do with the resurrection? We have to go back to John 16, because Jesus had already told them what was going to happen and what was coming. And so in John 16, after warning his disciples of the difficulties they were going to have, and and that his own crucifixion was coming, look at what he says to them about peace. John 16, verse 33. He said, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Now notice here, first of all, peace is not circumstantial. He doesn't promise to remove the tribulation. He doesn't promise to remove the difficulties. Rather, he promises them, in the world, you will certainly have tribulation. Again, that's not the promise that we frame and hang over our sofas in our homes. It's not the one we see on the plaques and our little things on our desk. But this is what he's telling his disciples. You are certainly going to face tribulation. But guess what? In me... You can have peace. It's not a circumstantial peace. He's not giving you peace by making the tribulation, the trials go away. It's peace in the midst of those tough circumstances. And the phrase that shows us how we have that peace is there in me, you may have peace. In a relationship with him, in fellowship with him, in knowing him personally, peace is possible. And what does that have to do with the resurrection? Well, everything. On the book of Ephesians chapter 2, we get our answer on this. In Ephesians 2 verse 14... Paul tells the people in Ephesus, he says, For he, Jesus himself, is our what? Jesus himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Jesus is our peace. His presence is our peace. Knowing him is our peace. And we're able to have that peace because of what Jesus has done. Look at verses 15 and 16. He's broken down the wall of hostility. Verse 15, By abolishing the law of commandments and ordinances, He might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God and one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. The key word there is not last verse. He reconciles us. Friends, what what does peace have to do with the resurrection? Everything. Because on the cross, Jesus died, and he took the sins of you and I, the wrath we deserved for our sins, and he took it upon himself willingly and gladly. He hung there on the cross. He bore the punishment that you and I deserve for our sins. You and I were separated from God. God is holy. God is perfect. And because he's holy and perfect, God cannot have sin 
and His presence. So there's no way for you and I who are born sinners to ever get to God on our own. There's hostility. There's, we are enemies of God on our own. We're born that way. We're separated from Him. There's a hostility there. And there's no hope on our own of getting to God. But Jesus comes and He lives a perfect life. He fulfills a law that you and I can never fulfill. And He goes to the cross as an innocent sacrifice to bear the punishment that we deserve. But it doesn't stop there. He dies, but He rises again. He overcomes. He defeats death. He defeats it all. He comes out victorious on this so that we could be reconciled, restored to a right relationship with God. Friends, if peace is being in the relationship with God, is knowing Christ, the only way you and I can know Christ is if He dies and rises again. The resurrection is what opens up the way for us to be in a relationship with God so that we can have peace. We are now reconciled to the one who is peace. As we experience his presence, we get peace in our lives as well, regardless of the brokenness around us. But friends, as good as that is, it gets even better. Not only does Jesus give us peace, not only does the resurrection give us peace, friends, the resurrection also gives us joy as well. Look at verse 20 and notice the reaction of the disciples when Jesus stands in their midst. He's just said to them, peace be with you. And then verse 20, when he has said this, he showed them his hands and his sides. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Have you ever considered how surprising this verse is and this reaction is? Think about something here. Kids, if you've sinned against your parents and disobeyed your parents, and you know you've been caught, are you excited when they walk into your room to tell you about it? No. When you're in the workforce and your boss comes into your office not happy because you know you've done something wrong, you're not really joyous that your boss is there. But this is basically what's happening here. Remember what just happened. Thursday night, Jesus is betrayed. Do his disciples be faithful followers? They scatter. Peter denies him three times. They're not exactly model followers. They have disobeyed the Lord. They've scattered. They're fearful. They're afraid. They're even in hiding here when Jesus appears to them. Their first reaction in a human standpoint should not be joy. Oh, yay, the one I betrayed is here. Woohoo! This is great. Fear would naturally fill our hearts. But verse 20, that's not what happens. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. The word then there is the same word in the Greek that gets translated therefore or consequently. So really verse 20 is telling us, therefore the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Therefore, consequently, this is what is going to happen. They, they betrayed him. They're fearful. And all of a sudden Jesus appears and boom, it's all gone and they're thankful. Yeah, that's exactly what's happening. The fear, their panic, their worry, their sadness, all that is basically evaporates before our eyes and is replaced with peace and joy in the presence of the one who is peace and is joy. Jesus had told them this would happen. This is no surprise to Jesus, and it should not be a surprise to us. Back to John chapter 16, verse 20. Look at what Jesus had already warned his disciples would happen. He said, Truly, truly, I say to you, emphasizing the importance of this, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. He's talking about Good Friday. The world's going to rejoice because they think they have stopped Jesus. They think they've put him dead in his tracks, and there's nothing he can do anymore to mess up their religious establishment and their ways. Jesus says his followers are going to weep and lament. But to the world rejoice. You will be sorrowful. But notice this next phrase. But your sorrow will turn into what? Your sorrow will turn into joy. Look at verse 22. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again. And your hearts will what? Rejoice. And no one will take what? Joy from you. What's the difference? Jesus has told them. When, I, when you see me, when you are in my presence after the crucifixion, when I resurrect and you see me again, your hearts will be filled with joy and no one can take it 
from you. And that is exactly what happens, friends. These people who should be fearful and afraid and worried and have all and a lack of peace in their hearts that would cloud out everything else, they see the resurrected Christ and immediately their hearts are overflowing with joy and peace because they're in the presence of the one who is peace and is joy. Friends, the resurrection gives us a very real peace and joy that's not dependent upon circumstances as possible no matter how broken life is. Because Christ has borne the penalty we deserve, making way for us to be in relationship with Christ so that we don't see him with physical eyes. We see him with our souls, with our hearts, with our spiritual eyes. We read about him in his word, and we encounter his presence much like the disciples did, and our hearts and lives can be full of peace as well. Friends, as amazing as that is, there's a danger in stopping there also. There's a danger in just focusing on the historicity of the resurrection and not taking it to how it changes me. But too often in American culture, if we go past the fact this really happened, to, wow, this changes me, we stop there as well. But there's a danger in stopping there because our culture likes to stop there. Our culture treats the Bible like we're the main characters. Our culture acts like it's all about us and God's plan for my life. And friends, can I just remind us of the sobering reality that there's nothing in the pages of Scripture that shows us that my happiness is God's main ambition. There's nothing in the page of Scripture that makes me the main character and God's main focus in life is about me and my happiness and my plans. There's nothing in the Bible. He's already told his disciples, you will face tribulation. That's not exactly your happiest moments of life there. But that's the truth of the Word. The Word of God says it's not about me. It's about His glory. That's what our songs were all about this morning. It's God's fame, God's renown. But it's the resurrection, yes, it gives us a peace and a joy that's very real. But it's a peace and joy that's so real it overflows from us to others. It is to be shared by us with others. Look at verse 21 of John chapter 20. Look at what Jesus tells his disciples. Jesus said to them, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Now, it would be easy in my flesh if I was one of the disciples at this point to be like, Jesus is here! And he's like, and we've overcome all of our fear of betraying him. He says, Peace be with you. And then he goes, As the Father has sent me, I'm going to send you now. I'll be like, Well, time out, Jesus. I've just seen you. I've been in anguish for the last 48 hours thinking everything was falling apart. You tell me peace. Come on, don't give me a task right now. Give me a break. I need to rest. This has been an emotionally laden weekend. We've just seen you die. You're crucified. You're buried. We know what happened to you. You're alive now. I'm overwhelmed. Please, not an assignment right now. That's not what they say. That's our response in our flesh if we think we're the main character of the Bible. We think the resurrection is all about me and my story and God just redeeming me. Then, yeah, that's what our reaction would be. Because it's all about, wait, God, don't send me out now. I need a break right now to, to bask in this. But the first thing Jesus says to them is, peace be with you, peace be with you, I'm sending you out now. What is Jesus up to in this? Well, he's showing us again that our story is part of a much bigger story of his glory and what he is up to. He immediately talks about sending them out to spread the peace and the joy they have just found. He doesn't tell them, you need to go to seminary first. You need to know a little bit more. I know you didn't understand and believe, but you just believed in the last 10 seconds. So great, I'm sending you out. You don't need anything else. You've experienced peace and joy. Now go tell others that as well. But he doesn't leave them hanging here. He equips them for this. Verse 22. And when he, Jesus, had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. So he gives them not only his presence of the resurrection, but he gives them the presence of the Holy Spirit to send them out, to give them the resources they need to share this peace and joy they have just found in the last 10 seconds. He immediately gives them the resource they need to share that with whoever they meet as well. And he gives them this commission even more clearly in verse 23. He says, if you forgive the sins of anyone, they're forgiven. If you withhold forgiveness from anyone, it is 
with hell. Now, that can be a confusing verse, but he's basically telling us here, the mission of the church is to proclaim the gospel. As you proclaim the gospel, I am speaking through you. So as you share the gospel, people believe, I forgive their sins. If they don't believe, if they reject, I don't forgive their sins on this one. He says, so you just speak, that you're proclaiming forgiveness, and I will work through that. So friends, realize that immediately after appearing to them, he prepares them for their mission. The resurrection gives a peace and joy that's so real we cannot help but share it with others. But friends, that shouldn't be something that dread, causes us dread or fear. I mean, think about it in just the human sphere for a minute. When you got that dream job, did you just keep it quiet to yourself? Or did you immediately start calling all your friends or posting on social media? When you got engaged, when you got married, when you had a baby, when you got into the school you wanted, when you got the scholarship you wanted, whatever it is, you don't keep it to yourself. We immediately go to Instagram and to Snapchat and Facebook and whatever it may be to share with the world quickly, hey, look at what's happened in my life. That's a natural thing. I don't think of it odd of anyone when I see on Facebook, oh, they got engaged. Or I see on Instagram, well, they got their job they wanted. We want it. True joy needs to be expressed. It needs to be shared. Friends, if that's true in just the mundane, everyday part of life, how much more so if we have encountered the risen Christ, He has changed us, and we have peace and joy, how much more so should it just overflow? We want to share that with others as well. We took those of us lost in our sins, and He breathed life into us. We took those of us who dealt with the hostility between us and God, and we're now reconciled in God's children, and there was brokenness in our life, and God began to work in that to bring peace and all these things in our heart. Why would we not want to share it with others? And He gives us the Holy Spirit to enable us to do so. Because we found true joy in Christ. We found true, true peace in Him. We should be able to share it with others around us. So friends, the resurrection gives us a peace and joy that is so real, we cannot help but share it with others. So you think about that as we close the morning, I want you to look inward in your heart and ask God for grace upon grace just to see your heart today, to see what's happening. My question for you is simply this. In your heart today, is there peace? In your heart today, is there joy? I'm not asking if the circumstances around you cause you to have peace. I'm not asking if circumstantially is everything going well in your life so you find happiness in there. But no matter what's happening, no matter what brokenness you're in relationally, no matter what brokenness you're in in the culture, no matter what struggles and trials and temptations you're in, in your heart of hearts today, is there peace and is there joy? Friends, it can only come from God's grace. It can only come when you experience the resurrected Christ. As you read the pages of Holy Scripture and Jesus comes alive to you like he did to the early disciples when he saw them face to face. Friends, if you've never experienced the peace and the joy that comes from being restored, reconciled to God, what better day than Easter Sunday to do that? And I plead with you, if you know there's not peace and joy in your heart, there's no change that's happened. Again, I didn't ask you if you're a member of a church or you walked the aisle, but it's your life marked with peace and joy that comes because you're abiding in Christ and He is abiding in you. If you've never experienced that, come talk to me, come talk to any of the leaders, anyone from Gateway, we'd be happy to talk to you about what it means to have peace with God. But friends, if you have experienced peace and joy, and that is the reality in your heart today, as we sing our closing song, I want you just to proclaim to God how thankful you are. Because the fact that you have peace and joy in the midst of a broken world is not because you're so smart and wise, and not because I'm smart and wise, but because of God's grace upon grace that has opened our eyes to see who Christ is. And in his presence, we have peace and joy. But friends, even as we praise God and thank God for his grace in our lives, I want us to remember and be reminded of the fact from 2 Corinthians 5.18 that he has reconciled us to himself and he's given us the ministry of reconciliation. Friends, are there people this Easter Sunday you need to call, write, or just start praying for?
that they might, they might experience the same peace and the joy that you have in your heart this morning. Friends, the resurrection gives us a peace and joy that is so real, we cannot help but share it with others. Would you pray with me? Father, we are so grateful that in your kindness to us, that you've given us eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to believe the gospel. Lord, for these precious brothers and sisters who are here today, God, would you fill their hearts with hope today? I know there's so many who are struggling in so many ways, or the the brokenness of the world is so evident. And there's people here who are struggling with health concerns and struggling with broken relationships and struggling with financial concerns and all sorts of weighty things on their mind today. God, I pray today for those who are in Christ, you would sow through the work of your Holy Spirit filling them and pointing them to the resurrected Christ. God, that they would have hope, they would have peace, they would have joy today, no matter how broken life is. And God, I pray it would be a peace and hope and joy that wouldn't just be present when we're singing to you on Sunday mornings, but God will be present all week long as we worship you in our daily lives. Lord, if there's someone here who has never experienced true peace and joy, they've never seen you, they've never experienced you, they've never found it, God, would you let this Easter Sunday be the Sunday where they cry out to you for your grace to change them and transform them as you fill their lives with your presence. Lord, for all of us who do know you, I know there's probably many you could put on our hearts and minds right now who we know, who we love, who we care for, who do not have that peace and the joy we have. God, would you right now in my heart and the heart of these brothers and sisters, just even today on this Easter Sunday, just put one person in our heart that we need to pray for more. We need to talk to, call, write, give a Gospel John booklet to. God, would you this Easter Sunday burden our hearts for those around us that you've sovereignly put in our lives who do not have peace and joy, who might be your mouthpiece, just like the early disciples were. Experience your peace. And you send them out. Got to pray for me and these brothers and sisters that this week you would give us peace and you would send us out as well. Wherever we go throughout the Montgomery area, I pray we'd be your ambassadors found faithful to proclaiming the God of peace and joy that we've experienced to those around us who need to hear. Well, thank you for it and give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as we sing our closing song?